the gospel. The scripture today is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebu rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the word of the Lord. Well, would you uh, pray with me again? Let's pray together. Oh God, we pray now that uh, as we pause in the ordinariness of our lives to pay attention to your word, that you, oh God, would pay attention to us. God, we come with our cares and concerns, our hopes and our fears. Would you give us what we truly need? Would you help us to see Jesus? We pray in his name. Amen. Well, good morning. Um, it's great to be uh, with you this morning. My name, is, my name is Bryce. I'm the pastor here. If you're uh, in town for Thanksgiving or visiting us for the first time this morning, we are um, looking, this is sort of this off week. Uh, usually Advent begins the Sunday after uh, Thanksgiving, <laughs> I was like, what's the holiday this week? Um, but uh, maybe a third of the time, there's this, there's this in-between week. And um, so we're, it feels like this kind of off week where we've been in the midst of this, uh, this week of Thanksgiving, the, uh, the disruption kind of to the, the regular routine perhaps before we launch full steam into the Advent season next week. And so I thought, what we would do this morning, we finished last week our series in Genesis. I thought what we'd do this morning is um, look at this simple text, this well-known passage about Jesus calming the storm because it gives us a picture of what it looks like to believe in Jesus. Um, I remember as a child, uh, I had two uh, sets of grandparents growing up as uh, many of us did. And um, one, of my, one of my grandfathers lived uh, not, not very close to us. We only saw him once or twice a year. And I remember it was always such a, uh, a treat to go to my grandpa's house because my grandpa was this kind of just interesting man who had collected curiosities over the years. I mean, 
some of the, the pleasures that we got to enjoy when we went to my grandpa's house where he had this wall-mounted um, soda can crusher. And so we could drink a generic brand soda, and then when it was empty, you could put it in this thing and pull a lever, and it just crushed that can. It was awesome. Uh, <laughs> he had a, a tree house in his backyard that we would climb into. He had a, a, a hot tub, um, and he actually rolled out this TV, and so we could sit in the hot tub, drink our generic soda, watch TV at the same time. It was, it was amazing. <laughs> but one of the things I loved most about my grandpa's house is he had, um, I, I think these go by different names. I call this a, a dolly. You know what a dolly is? Like a kind of a cart that's got wheels on the bottom. You load it up with a couple of boxes and tip it back and roll this dolly around. And my favorite thing to do at my grandpa's house was go into the garage and I would stand on the dolly and I would say, Grandpa, you know, push me. And it was so much fun. My brother and I would fight over who got to go first. And, uh, you know, we'd stand there and my grandpa would come up behind, my, behind us. And there's this moment of sheer terror, right, when he tips you back. And it feels like your life is about to end, right? And what would always happen, he would, he would come and he would, I would stand there on the dolly and he would tip it back. And when he tipped it back, I would lean forward like that. My grandpa would kind of chuckle and he'd set me forward and he would say, he'd say, don't you trust me? I said, of course I trust you. He said, okay, then just fall back when I lean you back. I said, okay. And we'd try it again and we would, uh, I'd stand there and he'd, he'd tip me back. I'd lean forward again in my waist, and my grandpa would say, don't you trust me? I said, yes, of course I trust you, grandpa, but I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Uh, fear is a powerful emotion. Fear uh, makes us do things or say things that we wouldn't otherwise do. Uh, did I trust my grandfather? Of course I trusted him. I believed that he was going to catch me, that he was strong enough to hold me. And yet fear makes us do things that we wouldn't normally do. Why couldn't I relax? That's what he's asking. Fear can be um, a debilitating emotion. Fear can leave us paralyzed. Fear can cause us to do uh, irrational things. Consider the story of a woman named Linda. Uh, Linda was at the grocery store. She was sitting in her car with her hands on the back of her head. Linda was sitting in the driver's seat like this, and a man who was going to the grocery store saw, you know, walked, parked his car, walked by her car, saw her sitting with her hands on the back of her head like this. This man goes into the grocery store, does his grocery shopping, comes out about 30 minutes later, walks back to his car, and sees this woman still sitting in her driver's seat of her car with her hands on the back of her head like this. So the man, his curiosity peaked, comes over and kind of knocks on the window and says, are you okay? Linda says, I have been shot in the back of the head and I'm holding my brains inside my head. So the man pulls out his cell phone, calls 911, the paramedics arrive, they have to break into the car because the, um, the, the door is locked and Linda's not gonna take her hands off of her head. And um, the paramedics finally get there 
and they discover what's happening is that uh, Linda has a wad of bread dough on the back of her head that she had put her groceries in the back of her, in the trunk of her car. And because of the heat, a roll of Pillsbury dough had exploded. The crack of the, the the explosion sounded like a gunshot. Something hit her in the back of the head. The, the dough hit her in the back of the head and she felt back there and she assumed that her brains were leaking out of her head. And <laughs> she was determined to, uh, to not die right there. Um, she sat there for over an hour until somebody noticed her and came to her aid. Fear has the unique ability to make us think in irrational ways and make us do crazy things, doesn't it? Whether the fear is irrational and unfounded or whether the fear is based on real realities in our lives. And I say all this because we live in a world that is polarized and paralyzed by fear. You know, as we're coming to the end of 2023, I just want to kind of give you a warning of what 2024 is bringing with it an election. Um, Let me say that sentence again. 2024 is bringing with it an election. We live in a world that is polarized and paralyzed by fear. And it's important for us as a church to remember who we are and to be aware, be aware of the way that fear is being used to stoke outrage in our lives. God calls us to be people who love him and to love our neighbors, but fear can turn us into the most angry or petty or mean people. Fear is a powerful motivator. Um, or think about Try this one on for size. <laughs> My first day of middle school. You know what happens when you go to middle school is you, you started kindergarten when you had no social awareness whatsoever. And you go five or six years, maybe seven years, through one school where you slowly get to build friends. And then you move to a middle school. And the first day you come into the lunchroom at middle school, you have no idea where your friends are sitting. And I remember that, that sense of fear of walking into the, the lunchroom my first day of middle school, looking around, feeling like everybody was looking at me. I have no idea where my friends are. I saw some people I recognized. I went down and sat down next to them and ate lunch with those people for the next three years, uh, all because of my fear of being alone. A few things in life motivate us more than our fears. And in this passage, Jesus confronts our fearfulness and shows us that he is the antidote to living lives that are controlled by fear. As Christians, I think we often talk about uh, believing in Jesus, or we just sang a song, uh, I'm trusting only thee. What does it mean to to believe in Jesus, to trust in Jesus? Um, Dale Bruner is a New Testament scholar And he says that a a good modern translation to translate uh, when the Bible talks about trusting Jesus or believing in Jesus, a good way to translate that word would be relaxing in Jesus. We are relaxing when we can let ourselves go. Uh, The image that comes to mind is of the, um, of a, of a, a parent holding their newborn child. You know, as kids get older, they start kind of like 
flex the back of their neck and resist that, but a newborn, it's just dead weight. Just relaxing, trusting that mom or dad has them. Relaxing in Jesus. Total trust, total confidence. In this passage, we, we see a contrast here, don't we, between Jesus, who is asleep in the boat, and the disciples, who are not asleep, They are up, they are agitated, they are terrified by the storm. So let's look at this passage and let's see what it tells us about resting in Jesus. The first thing that I want you to notice in this passage is what this passage tells us about fear. What is fear? So um, we just kind of dropped into Mark chapter 4. Here it's... um, always, I think, a little bit dangerous when we just parachute into a passage to, to, we forget about the context. In fact, I realized as Nancy was reading the passage, it doesn't actually tell us who is doing, it doesn't name Jesus. Jesus is the one who is in the boat here. Um, But the context is this, Jesus has begun his public ministry. He's been teaching the crowds everywhere he goes. People rush, people want to hear what Jesus has to say. He has... um, He has performed several miracles. He has called the 12 disciples to follow him. He's probably quite tired, and so he gets into a boat with his disciples, and they are planning, it says, to cross over to the other side, which means they are planning to cross to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And as they are sailing across the Sea of Galilee, a storm um, just comes in out of nowhere. Uh, Tom Wright, in his commentary on this passage, notes that if you go to the Sea of Galilee today, there are signs at the parking lot there that warn that storms are prone to erupt suddenly on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, The Sea of Galilee is about 700 feet below sea level. The Sea of Galilee is the lowest freshwater lake on the planet. And it's only about 30 uh, miles away from Mount Hermon, which has an elevation of over 9,000 feet. And so what's happening here is that cold air uh, from the cold mountain air from the, the heights of Mount Hermon clashes with the warm air from the Sea of Galilee, which means that sudden, frequent, violent storms erupt as Jesus and the disciples are crossing over the sea to the other side. And it says that waves are filling the boat. The disciples are afraid. Now, think about what that means. If, if you or I perhaps are in a boat and uh, there's a little bit of swell in the water, perhaps we're going to be a little afraid. Uh, most of Jesus' disciples were hardened fishermen. You know, they, they knew what the sea was like. And it says they were terrified. The turbulence um, of the sea, you might think of this as an analogy. You ever been in an airplane and you kind of hit some turbulence and the flight attendants keep um, just doing what they're doing? I was in, a, in an airplane not too long ago where it just, you know, the turbulence happens and you think, okay, it's no big deal. And then it goes on a little bit and I start thinking, this is making me uncomfortable. And then we hit this bump and like I saw the flight attendants make eye contact with one another. Like when the flight attendants are nervous about the, the turbulence, that's when I start getting scared. That's kind of what's happening here with the, the fishermen. And what I want us to see is this. Fear comes from obsessing over the enormity of our circumstances. 
Fear comes from obsessing over the enormity of our, of our circumstances. They're not, they're not just afraid because, you know, there's a storm. They're not just noticing what's happening. Fear isn't just noticing our circumstances. Uh, we, of course, we have to be aware. We have to have situational awareness of what's going on around us. Fear is not just noticing that there are big or dangerous things going on around us. Fear comes from obsessing over our circumstances. Fear drives us to do things that we wouldn't otherwise do. Which is why the disciples, they don't just go and wake Jesus up and say, hey Jesus, um, could you help us? They say, they wake Jesus up and they say, Jesus, don't you care that we're drowning here? What a thing, what a crazy thing that is for them to say. The disciples followed Jesus everywhere he went for three years. Uh, the disciples knew that Jesus loved them. They knew that he cared about them. But fear drives us to say and to think and to do and to feel things that we never would otherwise. Don't you care about us, God? Listen, the proof that Jesus cares is the fact that he's in the boat in the first place. Uh, why did the God of the universe leave his throne in heaven, take on human flesh, come to live a life of poverty in order to save us. It's because he cares about us. If he didn't care about us, if Jesus didn't care about them, he wouldn't be in the boat at all. But fear causes us to do things that we wouldn't otherwise. Fear, in that sense, shows us the state, the true state of our hearts. What do we think is really important to us? Uh, many years ago, um, Ashley and I, this was... Uh, we'd only been married for a couple of months, and I, I remember I was talking to my, my mom. It was a Friday afternoon. I was talking to my mom on the phone, and my mom just kind of casually says, what are you guys doing? Um, what are you guys going to do tonight? And I knew in my, my mind that Ashley and I had already decided we were going to go see this movie called Once. That, uh, I don't know if you saw this movie, great movie about street musicians in Dublin. came out several years ago. Um, but I knew that it's just kind of this indie, quirky film and that it probably wouldn't be like my mom's thing. And so when my mom said, what are you guys doing this, this, um, this uh, tonight? I said, we're going to, go, going to go see a movie. And she said, oh, what are you going to see? And instead of just telling her, I said, well, we, just, we haven't decided yet. So I lied to my mom. So why did I do that? Well. Uh, oh, oh, so, so I lie to my mom, and then um, <laughs> my mom's response is, she goes, well, whatever you do, don't go see once, because your dad and I just saw it, and it was horrible. <laughs> so <laughs> now, now I'm like in this, what do I do now, right? I don't know if I've ever actually told my parents about this, so mom, if you ever listen to this recording, I'm sorry. But why? Well, because I'm afraid of what people think about me. And that, that isn't just like this big picture, what, what is my reputation, what am I doing in my life, are people, are my parents proud of me, that kind of thing. But even at a level of just such an insignificant, I wanna go see a movie that isn't to my parents' taste would lead me to lie, I'm afraid of what people think about me. So much of our lives are driven by fear because we obsess over the enormity of our circumstances. So how does Jesus 
respond to the, the fear-driven way we approach our lives. Now, the moralistic response is to think that Jesus sort of says like, knock it off, <laughs> don't be afraid. But he doesn't do that. Uh, this is not how Jesus confronts our fear. And this, so the second thing that I want you to see in this passage is, is that there is an antidote to fear. So the, the disciples are here, picture this, the disciples are here, they're cowering in fear, the boat is filling with water, and Jesus is asleep. It says with his head on a pillow. How is it that Jesus, if the, if the hardened fishermen are afraid that the boat is gonna go down, how is it possible that Jesus uh, is asleep? Jesus is so confident in God's presence and power that he can sleep through a raging storm. And the disciples wake him up and he calms the storm and he simply says, peace, be still. Jesus calms a storm like he's quieting a child. Jesus speaks and the storm is calm, it's the, the sea is flat. And then he looks at the disciples and he says, Verse 40, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? Have you still no faith? What, when he says this, what, what we're seeing is that, fee, that faith is the antidote to fear. Faith is the antidote to fear. Now, I don't know how that strikes you, but um, the word faith, we say, okay, don't be afraid, just have faith. At first, the way that lands with me is that it feels pretty limp, honestly. The word faith, I think, is the most, uh, one of the most misunderstood words in the English language. Because when we think about faith, we think that it means something like, faith is believing something despite overwhelming evidence to the contrary. Or we think of faith as a sort of blind optimism, you know, the, the football fan that towards the end of the season says, you just gotta keep the faith. What does that mean? It's just this blind sense of optimism. We think that faith is a vague spiritual feeling or that faith means believing something when you don't have enough information to say that you know that it's true. But what we see in this passage is what real faith looks like. And so in verse 41, we see Jesus calms the storm and then it says that the disciples were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? The disciples thought that they had a problem with the storm. They thought that the problem was that their boat was gonna sink but now the storm is calm, and they realize that they have a much bigger problem. The much bigger problem is the one who is in the boat with them. Who is this that calms a storm? What kind of power is this? See, this is what faith is. Faith is not a feeling that I can muster up inside myself. Faith is what comes when you are struck with the enormity of who Jesus is. <clears throat> the disciples were afraid of the storm, but now it says they were filled. It doesn't just say they were filled with fear. It says you know, they were afraid of the storm. Now they're filled with great fear. If you look at the words, uh, the, the Greek, it says they, they were filled with mega fear. What are they afraid of now? Well, it's Jesus. 
isn't it? In this case, fear means something like reverential awe. Uh, there, there is someone weighty, more significant than the storm, who is in the boat with them. We live so much of our lives like everything is just normal, but this passage shows us that faith cannot fit into the normal ordinariness of our lives. Sometimes I think those of us who are Christians think that uh, to live the Christian life is an exercise in trying to figure out how do we fit Jesus into the priorities, the schedule, the ordinariness of our lives. How do we fit Jesus in and around the rest of our lives? But when we actually encounter the real Jesus, we encounter a new reality that changes everything about our lives. According to this passage, faith is not a just like a generic belief that there is a God. Faith is what comes after an encounter with that God. The disciples' fear of the storm is cast out by a greater fear of the one who is in the boat with them. So faith, in this sense, is not about fitting Jesus into the rest of our lives, but rather about our response to the Jesus who reorients our lives around him. There's a sense of awe, there's a sense of being overwhelmed, a sense that if this person who's in the boat with us isn't also good, that we are in a whole lot of trouble. We live in a time where um, sometimes we, we use the phrase, people of faith. We talk about somebody being a person of faith, and we might say, you know, there are, um, there are uh, three Christians who live on my street and yet, you'd have to point them out because often we all just look like everyone else. But the Jesus of this passage changes everything. The question I think this passage poses us is this. Have you met him? Has he reoriented your life? Have you met this Jesus? You know, one of the great privileges that I have as a pastor is that almost every week, I get to sit down with people and hear stories about what God is doing in their lives. And I get to hear about how God has shown up in people's lives. A guy uh, told me recently that he had always basically thought of Jesus as a guy in a dress with a beard. And uh, he was at the point in his life where he had made a mess of it. He was about to shipwreck his life, his family, and he said, suddenly God showed up and I was just undone. He said, I don't even know how else to describe it. I would have said that I believed in God and then God entered my life and everything changed. I talked with another person recently who said all my life I've heard people say things about Jesus I've heard people tell me who they thought Jesus was but when I actually started reading the Bible when I actually met the real Jesus I knew that I had to follow him with my whole life this person said I knew that when I made that decision to follow Jesus with my whole life I knew that it might be the end of my marriage that it might mean the end of the disruption of my family, but I was compelled by love, and I had to give my whole life to him. When God shows up in our lives, we don't squeeze him into our schedule. When God shows up in your life, you will know it because it changes everything. He calms the storm. He quiets the fears. 
But now we have another problem because the one who is now in the boat with us is one who is full of immense power. Do you know him? Uh, a friend of mine uh, who's a pastor in another part of the country shared this uh, story with, um, with me and some other friends a couple of weeks ago, a couple months ago. Um, he said in their church every Sunday they um, get to, uh, they have a point in their service where they share a testimony of the way that God is showing up in people's lives. And he, he shared this with us. He said, today Philip is going to share his story. Philip was seduced by a woman when he was 18, and after three months of meeting her, he shot her husband dead and was sentenced to life in prison. He said in prison, he met Jesus and his high school friend named John, who's an elder in my friend's church, stuck with him, came and regularly met him in prison. And in the end, he pulled together an, an advocacy team that was amazing. John uh, testified that uh, this man, Philip, had totally changed his life 100%. And after 19 years, he received parole uh, against all odds. While he was in, this is uh, this next part of the story, I'm not even making this up. While he was in jail, he met a young woman named Amanda who happened to be a Brazilian swimsuit model. And they fell in love and got married. Uh, and my friend was telling us this story because he officiated their wedding between church services on a Sunday morning a couple of months ago. Now, the point of this story is, is not that, um, you know, if you meet Jesus, you will fall in love with a model and get to marry them. The point is this, that the same Jesus who calmed the storm on the Sea of Galilee is alive today. He is at work in the lives of people just like us, just like Philip, just like you, just like me, who are driven by fear to do things that we would call insane. And yet when he shows up in our lives, he calms our fears, and we are overwhelmed by who he is. Have you met him? Have you met him? What will put to rest the fear that dominates your life? Feelings of piety, feelings of inspiration will not save you when the storms of life are raging, but there is a greater power at work in the world, one who speaks and the wind and the waves obey him. This is the story. This is what faith looks like. But the incredible thing is that this is not the end of the story. See, the, the story, the whole point of the gospel of Mark this is chapter four of Mark, but the story doesn't end here with one who calms the storm. Rather, the story continues until we see the one who calms the storm moving to the cross. It says that in Mark that as Jesus moves towards the cross, he is silent before his accusers. As those who condemned him mocked him, they said to him, if you are the son of God, call the angels, show us a demonstration of power, call the angels to rec rescue you. And he could have, but he didn't. Why? On the cross, the one who calms the storms with his words is silent, full of power, and yet not relying on his power to save himself. Why? On the cross, he suffers 
and dies. On the cross, Jesus fights the biggest storm that we will ever face by throwing himself into the storm of sin and death. And that storm was not calmed until after it wiped him away. You see, it cost Jesus everything. The, cost, the, the, the God of the universe calms the ultimate storm of life, the storm of sin and death, by giving himself up for you. The point of the Gospel of Mark, the whole end that Mark is marching towards as he recounts the life of Jesus, is to show us that Jesus is both Savior and Lord. That he forgives, but he calls us to follow. Uh, most of us who show up at a church on Sunday morning, I think, are pretty content with the idea of Jesus being Savior. We like Jesus as the one who calms our storm, the one who cleans up our mess. Uh, but the idea that Jesus is Lord, the idea that Jesus is King, the idea that Jesus calls us to follow him in this life is something um, that we struggle with. But the reality is that Jesus didn't die simply to make us more comfortable. Jesus is the sovereign Lord of the universe who stills the storm with his words. By his power, he has set you free from sin and death, and he invites you to respond by giving your life to him, to follow him. This is what it means to believe in Jesus, to relax. Like that newborn baby who hasn't yet developed the, the instinct to resist, to urge, to flex the back, to say maybe mom and dad have something other than my best interest in mind, but who are content just being dead weight in mom or dad's arms. Relax in Jesus. So a few years ago, several years ago now, I suppose, when my... Uh, Older two boys were still really little. I was um, invited to speak at a camp, at a summer camp, and we were there as a family. And uh, one morning before the campers came in, I was with my boys, maybe three and four years old, and we're kind of just exploring this, this camp, and we stumble across this dolly. And Instantly, I didn't even have to explain what this was for. Uh, one of my boys just instantly runs over and he stands on the dolly and he says, push me, daddy. So I come up behind him and I, I'm thinking in my head, I know what's about to happen here. I come up behind him and I tip him back and he just leans back. He doesn't bend at the waist. I thought, what in the world is going on here? He knows that he is safe in his father's care. That's what it means to trust. That's what it means to believe. That's what it means to have faith. Are you relaxing in Jesus? Would you pray with me? Oh Jesus, we thank you that you who spoke the creation into existence, that you who calmed the storm with your word that you have come to use your immense power to calm the powers of sin and death. We pray, Jesus, that having considered for a few minutes this morning this uh, 
account of your glory, your power, your compassion, that we would remember the way that you have wielded your power in our lives, that we would um, be able to look to, to remember, to point to the places where we have discovered that, Jesus, you are present with us, you are in the boat with us, where you've overwhelmed the circumstances uh, that make us live our lives out of fear, that we might look to you again in faith. Oh, Jesus, would you help us to be people who relax in you? We pray in your name. Amen.